Welcome to the Dauntless Grace Exchange. I'm Deidre. And I'm Megan. And we are here to talk about, well, this is kind of fun. So before I tell you what we're going to talk about, I want to say that we just had an Enneagram and IFS retreat, and we can say that we had an IFS retreat because we had IFS therapist, podcast host, and author, Tammy Sollenberger, fly in from her New England state to come lead our retreat participants in some IFS exercises and teach on it. So I am totally pumped, full of Enneagram and IFS enthusiasm right now, and excited to talk more about it today. I know. Gosh, I love it so much. Even just at the beginning of things, when we first started talking Enneagram, there was just something so energizing about sitting around a room with 12, 13, 15 women just on couches in front of a cozy fire. Also that day it was snowing and there was two story windows that we were sitting in this living room of this Airbnb and it just slowly snowed all day long. It was beautiful. And we were just sitting by a fire talking Enneagram. Like, I don't know that you could pick a more fantastic, meaningful day for me. It was so much fun. Describe your perfect date. (laughs) Snow fireplace and a big posh mansion for girls weekend and Enneagram. There you go. And IFS. Yeah. Back to the IFS, I'm saying it was just so fun to start hearing, oh, this is me and this is how I do that. Well, why do we do this? And what about that? It's so fun because you just start digging in to know people in such a unique way that I don't know that other things give you quite that much information about people. At, at like, We used to do a personality at the church that is still relevant you know, in terms of personality typing. It was called the temperament or the tap test. So that, that definitely could help you understand how people operated and why we're all so different, but there's something really cool and profound when people touch that core wounding message or fear and just tear up or just get really tender with each other, like strangers. Some of these people we didn't even know, or they didn't know each other. Oh my gosh. It really is like my favorite thing to spend a weekend on. It is. And what's so fun about it is there were like 14 of us there and Nobody knew everybody, including us. There were people we had never met before at this retreat. And so when we're going around and telling who we are and how we ended up at this place on the weekend and to say our Enneagram number at the same time, it's an immediate, like, here's a whole lot of things about me that I don't have to actually tell you about me for you to understand me. Yeah. Then you get to spend the rest of the weekend watching it like play out. Mm -hmm. We get to see people in their type though and see how they've grown or how they play against their type or how they lean into the giftings of their type or it, or how this type looks different from um, the same person of the same or the different person of the same type. And it's just, it was, it's so beautiful to see that because it's such a, it's a doorway in and then it allows for such nuance as you get to know people. And then when we layer on, this was the first time we've done a three night retreat. So we had two complete, like Friday, Saturday, all day, which was really nice. We didn't feel like we were in a hurry. And so you layer into that internal family systems language and people really start identifying some parts that are coming up for them in different ways. And that just feels like such an honor to be there witnessing people sharing those parts of their stories, um, yeah, it, that kind of vulnerability is just, I like geeky glasses, right? Nerd person right now. I'm like, that's what I love. I love that kind of vulnerability. And I think it's because I spent a lot of life armored up 
And when I started to taste what it's like to not live that way, like, don't you all want this? Everybody should want this. And when I see people still really armored up, it, it just kind of gives me this like little tang, ting, ping, ping. That's where I'm not tang. Tang is an astronaut's drink. <laughs> I don't like Tinge? it. It gives me a little pang of just like, oh, I want something for you. And how can I help you have that? But um, yeah, everybody tasted some kind of place where they could share some vulnerability, some maybe more than others, but it was really cool to witness. Sorry, I can't, I can't focus on what you're saying because I just have Hamilton, his hunger pang frame going through my mind now because he just said pang. That's good. I was stuck on um, the astronauts, so... Um, all of that to say we're very out about Enneagram and IFS stuff yeah and I'm I'm trying to figure out how we can make our fall retreat that will open up for the public like four nights or five nights or like a week somewhere (laughs) that might be that might be too long I think three nights was really good two full days we could start it a little bit earlier and end it a little bit later but I don't know that we need a fourth night I don't know that's just me excuse me not to have a cough attack while I'm trying to talk um but yeah Tammy bringing her into the retreat was so beautiful for us because we first connected with her about two years ago in learning IFS and she has come on our podcast to share her wisdom and what the main the first thing that I really learned from her and uh Joan Ryan when I did their Enneagram and IFS cohort was about the focus of attention Mm -hmm. I had been studying the Enneagram, certified Enneagram coach. We'd been talking Enneagram, leading Enneagram trainings. And I had never heard that language before about the focus of attention. And honestly, I know we've talked about it on here a little bit, especially when Joan was on here um, the second time, Constellation of an Enneagram 9. We, is my, did my Zoom screen just give balloons? It did. You said something or did something with your hands that looked like a celebration. <laughs> I that was so understand. Sometimes like if you're sitting a certain way, it'll see thumbs up and it'll like do a little thumbs up on your screen or yeah, so weird. The heart. Oh, you gave oh me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like people are like, okay, yeah, this is an audio only, but I, I was just talking and I apparently got excited because balloons just floated up my face. <laughs> that was so Awkward. funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't remember what I was saying. Focus of attention. Yes focus of attention, such good language. And what I would, I think it's like Enneagram 101. Mm -hmm. I know that we didn't learn about it as the first thing, but people who are like, what is the Enneagram? What is it about? How do I find my type? This is probably the best place to start. I used to start with core fears. Now I think I would start with focus of attention because these are the things that if that's not your focus of attention, you can't be that type. You just, you can't be. The only thing that I'd say, it it does take some nuance because you could tell someone that their focus of attention is power and control and they could be like, no, it's not. Because <laughs> right. they're so used to seeing it, right? I don't know. So I think that it does take a little, or like just, just giving it some descriptive context. But yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, when you really start drilling down on it, if someone's like, well, yeah, I don't really focus on that as much as this, then maybe there's a reason why they're, they were considering that type. And it was like a shared line or something like that. Yeah. I don't think you could just look at a list and figure out what it is. I think it has to be fleshed out for you, but that's what we're going to do. That's what this episode is, because even though we've gone through them before, we've never spent a whole episode like talking about what that is, what that means for each type. Yeah. 
All right, let's do it. I love when we do Enneagram content. Woo well, do you want to start by explaining what we mean when we say focus of attention? Sure. So uh, basically, I don't know, I kind of usually use this as the way to get into it. If you are talking, you're in a space, there's so much stimuli coming at you, right? You could, there, maybe you're in a restaurant, and there's other people conversation, there's the noise of the kitchen, there's running water somewhere, there's people walking around, there's sunlight coming in through the window. Um, there may be some dust on or trash on the floor next to you or a sticky spot, you know, on the table, there is the smell of food and maybe perfumes. Like there's so much stimuli coming at us at any one given moment. And so, for example, if that's where you were and you were talking to someone, you might be having to kind of really dim some of that stimuli to focus your attention on the person talking to you, right? And to really listen to their, their voice predominantly maybe over the conversation at the table next to you. Um, so I use that as an example, not not exactly for what each type is, but it's like, focusing your attention on something intentionally versus what we would say here with Enneagram is kind of just your natural lens to focus your attention on something that you don't really have much choice or awareness about. In fact, you might think that every person walks into the room taking in the same information the way that you do. And so what we find with the Enneagram is that's not true. There's nine different focuses of attention. And would that be like focus eye or, or fo foci? I, I, I don't know. Fungi, <laughs> fungi of attention. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I get it. I hear why you said I focus eye. I was just making it plural there instead of after the preposition because it's not attentions, it's focuses. No, I applaud that. I appreciate that. This is our regularly, you know, revisited subject about the Coles de Sac. Coles de Sac. <laughs> or the sisters in law. Yeah. Okay. Back on track. Anyway. So when, when people come into any kind of environment, whether that's relationally or work energy or just a new space, or even just walking home after, you know, or walking in the door at home after work, right? All of our types are going to kind of be drawn to something specific that really can I help us identify our Enneagram type. What Joan Ryan would have said was when she was talking to us about that, and probably even on the podcast when she was here sharing, is it's kind of like tent pegs. And so they're rolled in. So you're you're seeing a very narrow view of all of the information that there is to take in. And when you recognize that that is the narrow lens that you're looking through, you can take those tent pegs and pull back. It's kind of like opening a curtain or, you know, extending the opening of the tent up more. So I know people can't see me, but I'm taking my hands from narrow to wide. Um, but the point Which is- Which does not cause balloons to rain down, just in case you're wondering. That, we don't know what caused the balloons to come up in our little, oh, maybe if I put my hands up, did that do it? No, I, I don't understand. It's kind of like a weird FaceTime- Thing that Zoom has added, and these are very strange to me. I don't know why in work meetings you would want that stuff going on, but it doesn't help a podcast recording. I'll tell you that because you're focused on <laughs> beeline off of where it should be, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about at this point. <laughs> okay, so we open up. We our narrow focus of attention happens unconsciously. That's just sort of the lens that we see through. And when we are aware that this is our focus of attention, we can make choices to pull back, take in new information, and not always be so impulsively driven to act on 
the little bit of information that we're focusing on. Does that help? Does that make sense? It does. Here, here's how I wrote it. Why didn't you start with that? <laughs> You're like, I have a nice, concisely edited and proofed uh, way to identify this, but why don't you just ramble for a few minutes, Deidre? Because you, because you tell the nuance and here's my summary. Ready? Yeah. We all instinctively focus on what we think we need to survive, what will counteract our fears and aid our longings. One of the biggest growth steps for each type is to understand their natural focus and then choose to widen it. That's that's succinct and beautifully done. Thank you. You get an A plus. <laughs> I get a C for the longest definition ever that didn't quite hit the mark. <laughs> it wouldn't have been so long if I hadn't kept interrupting you about the balloons in and your the, defense. And the plural versions of what I was pluralizing. Focus I. Is focus is correct? Like, is that a word? I, d- I don't know, Megan. I don't know. <laughs> But the truth is we only have a focus person, you know, and so we have to pull back to get more in the focus. Um, speaking of focus of attention um, and Enneagram ones and how I'm stressing you out right now. So much. Let, so much. I know. <laughs> it's a good segue into the focus of attention for Enneagram ones, which is errors and mistakes. And I would like to start this podcast over because we've made a few already that you're just what? laughing at. I think it's fine. I think it's great. <laughs> I'm looking, um, the plural of the noun can either be fo- foci or focuses. Well, Just, we were both correct. There you go. Look at that. That's how I like life. All right, little Miss Enneagram one, why are you stressing out? It's because your focus of attention is errors and mistakes. What does that mean for you? It means I'm seeing it with red flags, all of the mistakes we've already made in the five minutes we've been recording. And I would like to fix them and edit them and do it right. But think about it like for a one whose sole purpose and mission in life is to be good and to do the right thing and to make things better. Of course, if that's like the thing that's going to give us value or belonging or some kind of admiration, um, we're going to have to focus on what needs to be corrected then to keep that um, sense of value of the correcting of the things. And also, because if we don't, I'm guessing if anybody else is like me as an Enneagram one, other people might see it first and point it out. And then we've been discovered, you know, for however flawed we are or the products or work that we put into the world could look. So what your errors and mistakes it's not, it's like what is wrong internally with you, right? That's the whole inner critic part of the Enneagram one, but it's also what is happening externally, either what you're producing, like on this podcast right now, or what someone else has produced or has left and you see the errors and mistakes. Right? Yeah, I think, I think so. I think it's internal and external simultaneously. Any other words about that? I have a lot of words about Enneagram ones, but we do have <laughs> other types. So, you know, I think that the the thing is, it can be destructive, first of all, because nothing will ever be perfect enough. So you can drive yourself just in mad, you know, in, in the pursuing of excellence and perfection. Secondly, in relationships, if all you can see is what other people are doing wrong, or so, you know, you could be very overly critical of them, or you could be so busy, which I would say is a big part of my story. So busy trying to cover up what I think they might see is wrong with me that I keep myself distant and polished and people at arm's length. And so all of those things break down connection and um, 
inner peace and, you know, interpersonal peace. So I was going to say, if there was like one part of that, that you would really want to not exist anymore for you, would it be the fact that you don't like that you automatically assume people are critical of you? Like that there's a judgment happening or? Yeah. I mean, for me, and I don't think every Enneagram one would feel this way. My particular story makes me super self-conscious of how I show up in the world, whether that's the things I say, my actual skin, hair, face, body, any of that, you know, uh, or the work that I do. I am very obsessed with the idea that people have to see me to interact with me. And that is still kind of, we'll get into IFS stuff another day, but that's still kind of a really big trigger for me as less about the fact that there's like a typo in something or my cabinets aren't perfectly organized or like yeah. I have OCD because I walk into a space and I can't straighten every picture. Like, and, and some people that would be a little bit more, it would be really the setting things right. For me, it, it feels a little more self-protective about people seeing what is wrong with me, Deidre, as a person and just the, the space I take up in the world. Got it. Uh, Enneagram twos. If you're ready to move on. Focus is on the needs of others. And that makes a lot of sense because their belonging is so defined by how they uh, are needed to so that they're not dispensable, so that they're not rejectable, so that they're not finding themselves in a position where they feel unloved because they don't have a sense of belonging. So it just makes sense that they are on like high alert to figure out how to proactively sense needs of others and address them to make themselves indispensable, right? Yeah, they, they're reading people's body language and they're feeling their feelings and they see those like immediate practical needs, like what, what do you need right now? But also those long-term like soul and story needs, they, they're just really good at seeing both. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes they can see needs somebody else doesn't even articulate or know that they have or want to have or think they have. They, even when twos are alone, and this is part of that like um, unproductive thinking, but when twos are alone, they're still thinking about what other people in their life are needing and how they can meet those needs. Yes, which causes some problems. So first of all, they may not be processing their own needs and deciphering those, their own emotions and clearly, you know, understanding that. They also, like you said, they could be um, serving someone else who doesn't really want their help. And that could cause a relational disconnect, or they could be doing something that someone does appreciate, but then that just further defines how their belonging is so attached to how someone receives what they're doing for them. And so it's, it becomes self-sabotaging, even though it can, it can serve some good purposes. It's just like anything, if it's driven by that need for belonging and acceptance, it can it can lead someone to burnout, martyrdom, or just broken relationships because the other person doesn't want that much help and they just need them to stop being maybe clean or, you know, neat, yeah. neat in that way. Great. Any Enneagram threes? Yeah, threes, they focus on tasks and goals. So they're checking things off a list. They're setting goals they're running hard they're the ones being driven to get to the next thing we always say they don't notice when the confetti falls because they're already busy on to the next thing they can't celebrate the loss or the wins or grieve the losses mm -hmm. um they're always multitasking with their brains and their hands 
Yes. Yeah. They're always dreaming and thinking of the next thing, like that future focus kind of thing. They might be in the current thing. And we tell this story about your daughter who um, was the lead in a play and we were congratulating her on opening night, but she was already focused on securing the lead for the next year's play a year later. And we were like, but you just were so good. Celebrate the opening night. Yeah. Because they're just so future oriented. So it's always tasks and goals. But like in that case, how do you celebrate everything you've worked for if you've already moved on to the next thing before this one has been completed? Yeah. And they can also have relational fallout from that because they've left the people that they're doing life with to already move on to the next thing. And people are feeling maybe discarded by that, or they can be coming at all of their tasks and all of their achievements and all their goals so hard that the people around them feel kind of run over with that energy Mm -hmm. or just, you know, bowled over by like they're in the way of, of the three accomplishing what they need to do. Um, and again, I mean, like every type, it, it could bounce back on them and cause a lot of internal stress and anxiety because you can only run so hard for so long before your body demands a break and you need some downtime. But then because they're focused of attention on tasking goals, when they are allowing themselves rest and they feel unproductive, if a three doesn't do some work with that, that just compounds a lot of frustration and shame and then frustration and then shame and then frustration again and they can't get out of that spiral so instead of finding rest in it they get more frustrated and then they just have to get back into tasking well you know we're not made to be machines so you burn out just natural right yeah that's interesting because the tasks and goals keeps them from working with those feelings Right. Mm-hmm. It keeps them from sitting with those feelings because feelings slow them down from what they're accomplishing. And I'm trying to go through in my head really fast. Do all the ta- or all the focuses of attention correlate with those repressed centers of intelligence? Like with ones, they are focused on errors and mistakes because the inner critic is keeping them from productive thinking through what's actually happening. And the twos focusing on the needs of others because their repressed thinking keeps them thinking about relationships. It's possible. I don't know that I'm thinking about fives, like gathering sounds like a doing centered thing, even though they're doing repressed. Um, yeah, but it's, it's not being in the moment. It's gathering for what they might need later. Yeah. Like, we're not there yet. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just trying to think through, but so far they seem to have a relationship at least between that focus of attention and that um, repressed center of intelligence. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Tell us about fours. Yeah. Yeah. Fours are focused on what's missing. No, but you have to define this word for this lovely word we've learned. What? I'm asking you to define the. Oh, I'm on the. I was talking about the defense mechanisms. Sorry. Oh, you can run that from two. Rewind. (laughs) I'm sorry. Was that a rewind sound? (laughs) That was better. The first one was like, but up, but up. We don't really add yeah. much on this podcast, so you're just going to get what you got there. <laughs> no, yeah, ago, you can look up interjection to find the defense mechanism. Yes. Um, whatever you just did, balloons are flying again. It's something about your hands being up in the air. Oh, now there's confetti. What there's is peace sign and confetti fell, you guys? Nothing happens when I move my hands. Do a Taylor Hart sign. Oh, there, that worked. Okay. On you? Oh, I saw it on you. Right, because I did it too. Um, maybe it's a toggle I need to like take off or something. Anyway, sorry, 
it's so funny that on an episode about focus of attention, we keep getting so distracted <laughs> by the AI of our Zoom that feels really struggling keeping our focus of attention on this recording. <laughs> well, fours are focused on what's missing. Um, because I'm an Enneagram four, we all know this. We are aware of what we don't possess um, to make us enough for any situation that we're in. We're aware that we're missing something essential that makes us like everyone else. We are always in our heads imagining what could make us like you or what could make us more comfortable or what could make us more at peace or happy in the world. Um, and we're always focused on our own differences, deficiencies, and shortcomings. So yeah, always focused on what's missing. I would say like, this is a scientific um, statistic I'm going to throw out there, but I would say like 85% of the time when I'm focused on what's missing, it's what's missing in me and my life. But there are times where I could be in an environment and be really aware of what's missing in the environment that has nothing specifically to do with me. Mm -hmm. I would say that's less common though. It's generally about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes sense. Um, and it may depend on if it's an area of expertise for you, probably. Like if it's something you really feel confident about, you would see that there's, you know, the grammar's wrong or there's typos or like the marketing wasn't done well or, you know, things that you care about that you, you feel you have a, an opinion about. I think that you could, you could recognize that stuff. And sometimes it's even like, who's not in the room that should be in the room. Maybe Very it's a work much. meeting or a gathering or a party or literally anything like who, who's not in the room that should be here. So still a lot of that's about me. Like who would I want to be in this space to make me feel more comfortable? Yeah. But sometimes it's who should be in this space because they would benefit from it or someone else would benefit from their presence. Yeah. I think that's true about you. <laughs> it's also why if we are in a crowded room anywhere near where you live or might see someone you might know you have trouble focusing on what I'm talking about because you're looking around to see who you might be missing that you know that's walking in the room that makes I sense cannot, I can't help that I know like literally everyone who lives in a tiny town like we shouldn't we just shouldn't go to eat there or anywhere it, within an hour of that town because it seems that wherever we go someone from that town walks in and starts talking to me Yeah, we, we've been out of the state, state. Before, and this has happened, so let's just be honest. <laughs> in, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be at the Wesleyan Holiness Women's Clergy Conference, which um, part of that is a denomination I was raised in, and it's a really small denomination in the uh, in North America called, well, it's, it's everywhere. It's big everywhere else, but in North America, it's fairly small called Free Methodist. And there will be like five days at this conference that I probably will barely talk to you when we're in a crowd because I'll be like, oh, so, so, so and every time we go, there's more people we meet and have to see. And I recognize this about myself because I'm like, oh, look, these people have been missing from my life for two years. And now I get to see them. It's fine. I know. I know where I rank. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I'm secure in my standing for the long term. <laughs> for the long term. We'll see. For the long, um, <laughs> long haul. <laughs> I thought that sounded more depressing than long-term. So I stuck with her. Um, I don't know how long we've been recording, but since we're only like four numbers in, should we save the rest of this for next week? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Besides, we have a bonus day next week because it's going to be leap day when we drop it. So that's like like a week we weren't planning on recording if it was a normal year. I mean, <laughs> I don't... <laughs> 
<laughs> that makes sense. I'm just saying it's really odd that it's going to drop on a day that only happens every four years. So after 2024, the next time you're going to listen to that specific episode will be 2028. What? <laughs> I got lost on that. Like we're still, re- we're still going to release every Thursday for the rest of the year. So it's still going to be like 52 episodes a year, regardless. Is that true though? I feel like oh, there could be an extra Thursday this year because leap day falls on a Thursday instead of March 1st. But there's always 52 weeks and we don't always record all of them. But are there always 52 Thursdays? <laughs> That's my point. Well, I don't know. Also, we've only released like on two Thursdays so far because I, the day, seriously, you guys, you guys, I didn't even announce, like, like I, no one noticed this except my Aunt Kelly. And I didn't even notice it until my Aunt Kelly texted me. But the week after Deidre announced that we were going to start dropping on Thursday, I 100% forgot and dropped it on Wednesday like normal. And I get a text in the early afternoon from my Aunt Kelly that was like, I'm so glad I checked to see if it dropped early because it did. And I wanted to listen. And I was like, well, that was actually a mistake. That was a mistake. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll be coming to you next Thursday, which is not March 1st because it's Wednesday. And we will do Enneagram types five through nine, which we'll get through faster because we've already gotten all of the other nonsense out of the way and the description of what this means. And we won't I'll figure out how to turn my AI off or whatever on my Zoom so that it stops sending confetti around in places. Yes. Thank you. Oh my gosh. There goes the balloons again. That's so weird. Why does a peace sign make either balloons go up or confetti come down? I don't know. One peace sign makes balloons go up. Two makes confetti come down. And the Taylor hearts make a heart pop out. And then there's the little like button, thumbs up thing. I'm not, oh, there it is. Oh, yeah. It's like a bubble that comes out of your mouth with a like, thumbs up. It it took me holding my thumb there for a very long time because I'm not sure it recognized that that was a thumb I was holding up. But just, okay. My thumbs are incredibly short. People have decided to stop listening at this point, but. (laughs) Like when you're on a work call, would this be something you'd want to be happening? I just feel like that's so distracting. No, I'm like embarrassed now because I didn't realize that it was something that's probably switched on on mine because I've been in work meetings when I had a job where balloons would come up and I'd be like, why did you send balloons at my face? And they're like, I did it. And I'm like, well, that was awkward. I didn't know it was something on my end. <laughs> it's like an update that you, I guess you have to toggle off. But why do we yeah, gonna... why do we need this update? Some things are not helpful. No, thanks, Zoom. It's fine. This is not face nice hand gestures. No, I don't want it to. All right. I'm going to fix it for next week so that we don't get so distracted. But when we talk about the rest of the focus uh, is foci of attention, foci of attention. And if you would like to see graphics about this, I believe that they are on a series at Enneagram Megan. And that wraps up another episode of the Dauntless Grace Exchange. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave a review so other people can find us. You can follow us on social media to stay connected. We're on Instagram at Dauntless Grace Ministries and our Facebook page is Dauntless Grace. For more about the Enneagram, visit our website at dauntlessgrace.org for coaching and training opportunities. And you can follow me at Enneagram Megan on Instagram. And be sure to check out our website for more information about today's podcast. Plus, you can click the resources tab to find books by all the authors we've spoken to or about. And you can find it at dauntlessgrace.org.